Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, the podcast where it's Godzilla and Friday. My name is William Bibiani. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And and what could you really ask for more than Godzilla and Friday at the same time? Maybe if it could also somehow be Taco Tuesday. That would be the only way that we could improve this thing. Has Godzilla Uh, ever fought a giant taco? Godzilla has never fought a giant taco. I've seen a lot of these movies, and there are no tacos. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am the uh, I am a senior staff writer over at Slash Film, uh, and I, I this is new territory for me. Oh yeah. I I do not know these Rebirth of Mothra movies. I've seen all of the Heisei movies, which we just finished, mm-hmm. te- uh, kinda because these movies count as part of that era. Yeah. But yeah, Godzilla melted down was replaced by. Godzilla Jr. Mm-hmm. Godzilla Jr. is now Godzilla, and we're just letting that be. Yeah, that's that's, a that's whole over in its own thing. own corner. And meanwhile, over here, we're going through a really painful growth period, which seems to resemble something like uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie, not the TV show, <laughs> not the one that's actually from Japan, but that really crappy American film that they made of it in 1995. This feels like at we're there. Yeah, this is a weird, weird era. So yeah. uh, we, we, we covered the Heisei Godzilla movies, and Toho decided America is doing a big-budget Godzilla remake, reboot, something with Roland Demmerich, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. They're, they're going to put Godzilla aside. Very, very classy. You know, they didn't have to do that. That was that was the very polite of them, but they're still gonna make money. So they're gonna take their second most popular kaiju, and they're going to reboot that franchise and give that a whirl. And as such, we got not one, not two, but three rebirth of Mothra movies, and these are. They're familiar in some ways. They're very different in others, but they are in their own continuity. This isn't the version of Mothra that we met when Godzilla fought Mothra and then Mothra flew off into outer space to stop an asteroid. Different Mothra. Yeah, yeah. This, this is, is a, a whole, whole new, whole new continuity, whole new world, Multiverse. whole new story. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is this is its own thing. Right, and it uh, is much more because again, the Heisei Godzilla movies, some were harsher than others, but they were more of an adult audience. They they saw the later era Showa Godzilla movies, which were mostly made with kids in mind, and said, "We're not hmm. going to do that." And then when they decided to do the Rebirth of Mothra, they were like, "Yeah, let's do that," because these are <laughs> very kid. There's a little bit of violence in them, but this is a, a very kid friendly, family oriented. Yeah, yeah, fantasy it's, adventure it's, film. 
it, yeah, it's very fantastical. There's like just sort of good guys fighting bad guys. The story is amazingly simple, even compared to other Godzilla movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned a lot when we were going through the the Showa era films that uh, they had a, like a certain kind of kid appeal, and when I said that, I meant that they felt like they were kind of being invented by kids. Like a, a little kid was making something up as they went along and then there's aliens and then, mm-hmm. or, or even in this, the Heisei era and then he fights a giant rose bush and it's part Godzilla. I feel like the Heisei era reflected how a lot of filmmaking trends were becoming a little bit more sophisticated in their storytelling. So the, the screenplays were a little tighter. Uh, whereas in the Showa era, they were really loose and sometimes even freewheeling. Mm-hmm. But they, a lot of them had that kind of Saturday morning appeal. Like, little kid is inventing these cool monsters and just, like, banging action figures together. Yeah. Rebirth of Mothra feels way more cynical than that. It doesn't feel like little kids are making it up. It feels like adults are making up something for little kids. Yeah, this doesn't uh, have the imprimatur of like family films or kid-friendly films from the 70s, this feels like a 90s movie. And it feels specifically like a 90s kids movie. The kind of movie where kids rule, adults drool, they're off on their own. It's almost like an E.T. kind of vibe, except it's not like a secret from the parents. The parents know about it pretty much immediately. But um, fantastical thing happens. Kids find out about it. For some reason, the kids are considered kind of important to the story they're actually not like they actually contribute nothing but they're here to regard the action and at the end of the movie they're rewarded by getting to fly on mothra like falcor at the end of never-ending story that they get a a sweet little monster ride and it's a lot of fun yeah and they're selling toys in fact there's a new there's a couple of new creatures they're toy sized (laughs) There's like there's literally toy sized. There are, I guess, if you count sort of larval Mothra, there's like four Mothra toys. No, yeah. five because there's also that little dragon that the villainess rides on. So there's like five yeah. monster toys that they could easily have banked off of this thing. Yeah, yeah. It it feels like a corporate product more than ever. That's not to say it's not without its charms. But it definitely well, but, doesn't feel yeah. organic. It feels comprised out of, here's what kids pay money for these days. Yeah, and, and the unfortunate thing about that is that it works. Yeah. Uh, you can super market toward little kids, and they can still get hooked. I mean, look at us. We're mm-hmm. products of the 1980s, you know, when yeah. the wheels kind of came off for uh, marketing to kids here in the United States. Uh, and we grew up watching TV shows that were toy product and vice versa. They were just encouraging you to buy the product. Uh, the majority such, of the ones that I think really hit, though, did have some people working on it trying to make it connect to kids. Uh, it wasn't just like, so, throw a toy but, at us, we'll love everything. There's a lot that didn't hit. That's true. So but, something you know, to connect with. And, for and, and don't, for don't everything that did hit... Yeah, for everything that did hit, though, there you know there were thirty that didn't, and yeah. even the ones that did hit weren't necessarily quality art. Uh, yeah. You know, people are still talking about He Man and the Masters of the Universe. That's not a good program. Uh, no, but what it and, had was what it had, and I think this is something you can say for a lot of the ones that were successful, like He Man, GI Joe, Transformers. Uh, they had a, a 
uh, a certain amount of variety, maybe not to the concept, but to the characters and the designs. There was something, this kind of like element of discovery. The kids could have their favorite characters, and you'd want to get that action figure. But regardless, we felt like this kind of connection to it because it felt... I don't know. Like, it felt kind of grand in a weird way. Like, yeah, there's a totally a Transformers mythos. It makes no sense and it self-contradicts, mm-hmm. but, like, it's there. Well, the, I can't the, really well, say that about all of them, you know? But I, I don't think that was necessarily something the creators were injecting into it. I think that was something kids were sort of incidentally extracting from it. Because what the, the shows were doing was injecting as many characters as possible so they could make as many toys as possible. It was all yeah. mercenary. I'm and not arguing that. little kids were forced to kind of interpolate all of that commercial glut in some kind of way. And yeah. it started to feel grand after a while just because the collection was getting bigger. Um, I, I see your and point. And I, 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 don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that was, that, that was necessarily something that was really healthy for little kids. And I think oh, that's I really that. colored our generation's ability to decipher, you know, what story is and what it's supposed to mean. Uh, and what I, I was going to get out is mm. that a lot of those things from the 1980s, you know, those things continue to evolve and get a lot more sophisticated in the next generation. It's really interesting growing up and watching your demographic age out and also watch like new waves of nostalgia arise out of things you were too old to get in the first place. Yeah, that one's weird. And I f- and, you know, because this one came out in the mid-90s, th- this came out in 1996, and that was the year I graduated high school. So I was kind of beyond a lot of the kid properties that were uh, were rising at this point. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking back, and I'm seeing a lot of people get really nostalgic for, some like, a big piece of garbage like Space Jam. And yeah. being completely... Because this movie came out the same year as Space Jam. That's where we are with Rebirth of yeah. Mothra. This is Space Jam. This is... Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. This is that era of kid flick and all of that overwrought, kid, yeah, that what you said, kids rule kind of mentality uh, therein. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with one thing you said there, or maybe not disagree, but I think there's another angle. Um, you know, you say that a lot of those shows and a lot of those movies were made to sell kids toys. They were. Yeah. But they yeah. were still made by people who would describe themselves as artists. They were working for a corporation, they were doing something cynical, but you still had to spend your whole day doing it. And some of them ended up making something, whether through uh, idleness, like boredom, like, well, let's make something we'd like, or an actual honest-to-goodness attempt to make something great. Uh, Knowing what I know about the the behind-the-scenes of the real Ghostbusters, they really did want to make a good show. Um, Okay. It's not that that didn't happen. I think it happened, and I think there was... You were fighting against corporate bullshit, or you are... You know, you're saddled with whatever you're stuck with, and sometimes it's just absolute nonsense, but I do believe that we connected with something, and I think that there was... It's that same sense of joy and discovery. A lot of these were serialized entertainments. The same sense of discovery we had when we like discovered Marvel or DC Comics, and you would jump into the deep end. You wouldn't start with issue one. It's all of a sudden, yeah. all of this stuff is there, and you just have to explore it, and it's kind of... Uh, it's like walking into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. You don't know where to begin. Um, I think the best ones of those, or at least the ones that made the most impact, 
have that. And I see in Rebirth of Mothra, it doesn't have that expansive quality, but it definitely is creating its own kind of mythology. There's a new backstory for Mothra. It's similar to what we've had before, but it is new. There are new characters. We have we had uh, the Peanuts initially. We had the Cosmos uh, afterwards. And now we have uh, the two um, little magical uh, ladies uh, are wow. the Elias. That's what we're calling them now for some that, reason. Well, that, that's uh, actually, that's like the name of their whole species was the, yeah. the uh, alias. I realize that, but we don't really have anything else to call them. Their, their, their names yeah. are, uh, um, uh, is it Mona and Laura or Maul and Laura? I, I think I remember in the subtitles it was Mona, but I'm reading in a plot description that her name was Maul. It, well, it's, it's uh, Moru. It's the, the Japanese character, Moru. So that, okay. that's... Okay, so it's a uh, translation because, thing. That's my point. Yeah, yeah, because because there's no there's no L sound in in Japanese. Yeah. All right, so, so it's, it's, it's Rora it, and Rora and Moru. So Laura yeah. and Maul are, are how they they translate it. Uh, and uh, but this time they they previously they were like the last of their kind. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. They have an evil sister named Belvira, and. <laughs> She, uh, whereas uh, our two hero uh, fairy creatures uh, ride a small, uh, perfectly toy-sized Mothra that they have named Fairy, mm-hmm. uh, Belvira rides a cool, badass little dragon. And it looks like it came and... right out of like a full moon movie, like Prehysteria. And that's yeah. called, um, oh, what's it called? I, I wrote it down. Hang on. It's like Megara or something. Oh, I forgot the name of the dragon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, she rides on the back of a little dragon, and they're little. Gagaru. What is it? Gagaru. Gagaru. Yeah. Okay. That's, like, that's the dragon. Yeah, she... yeah. And yeah, um, there was. Uh, you talk about like a full moon kids picture, and those are <laughs> that's like really obscure. But yeah, Full Moon mm. Entertainment that put out like the Puppet Master movies and a lot of horror movies run by Charles Band. Uh, they did have a. A separate brand that they did just for it wasn't called Full Moon. What did it was they like call Moon it? Moon Glow um, or something like that. Yeah, right? something like that. Uh, Full Moon Kid Label. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, they made they took all of the the low budget wizardry uh, that they mm-hmm. had for their uh, popular straight to video, well, almost entirely straight to video horror movies. And decided we're also going to make straight to video kids movies because that was actually a big business as well. Oh, it was called Moonbeam Entertainment. That was close, Moonbeam. Okay, Mo- but yeah, yeah, Moonbeam. Yeah, but it, they they started that in like the mid '90s, around this yeah. time. And one of their first big pictures was called Prehysteria with an exclamation point, and it yeah. was about and a a, a, ki- a suburban kid who owned little teeny tiny dinosaurs. Yeah, which honestly, great pitch. <laughs> we're going to do ET, but I own a bunch of little tiny dinosaurs. I love it. I want to see that now. Like, that sounds like a good idea, right? Um, and that was a David Dakota joint. Of course it was. But it was made on the cheap. It had a very um, almost sitcom kind of reality to it. It felt very uh, artificial and glossy. Uh, and the visual effects ranged from actually pretty good and innovative to total crap. Um, hmm. But there was this, the whole straight to video kids market which is still going today, uh, is a massive and expansive industry 
and most of it is crap. And, and really, <laughs> they're not trying to be anything else. People are just trying to fill a market. They're trying to do knockoffs of popular things. So instead of, uh, you, or you know, oh, Disney did a Cinderella. Well, that's public domain. So we'll do a very similar Cinderella. There's a million of those. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And live action stuff as well because people need something to show their kids. <laughs> And they're not, they 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 stop being particular after a while, especially like in video stores when kids are like, "Well, I've already seen everything. I don't know. Watch the My Pet Monster movie. There, go. It's thirty minutes. Enjoy." God, it's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. I must have seen that thing ten times. Um, but in any case, there's, <laughs> uh, there's a certain lo-fi charm to that uh, that this movie absolutely has, and there, it's it's kind of. I have a weird nostalgia for it, which is weird because I don't remember ever really liking it. Because <laughs> I well, remember well, as a kid, I was like, I know movies can be better than this. Why do these? Why are these so crap? But I saw so many of them that I can't help but find the aesthetic charming. I I I think it is just nostalgia for me because I also yeah. watched a lot of the you know, movies of this quality. By this point, I was watching more horror movies, but I did see a lot of these kids' movies from about this era, uh, and I'm I am fond of it. But I think just because it reminds me of the era. Um, yeah. Well, that's what nostalgia is, isn't the, it? The uh, yeah, that's it's what nostalgia is. I I do think though that this is a time when things really sort of cracked open in terms of cynicism about commercialism even big companies like disney was doing this i th who was was it um was it eisner who uh put forth the mandate that disney was just a money-making company and that's when they started or was it ovitz um, i want to say it was eisner because that sounds like an eisner thing yeah uh, where where yeah i think it was eisner came in and, and like during the early 90s and said we're gonna make money and here's how we're gonna do it and that's when they started really cranking out all of this they they weren't using the word at the time, but content to just sort of fill video stores. And that's when they came out with like the Lion King one and a half and yeah. Aladdin two, all these straight to video sequels to their classics. They weren't remaking them in live action at the time. They were just sequelizing them straight to video and they, they yeah. were making huge amounts of money. Mm -hmm. It was all so brazen. And I, I didn't think it would leak over into Godzilla, but here we are. <laughs> well, I, I want to make, make it clear here because the mm -hmm. first half of this movie, has that lo-fi, low-ambition cheapness to it. Uh -huh. The second half is as much giant monster fighting, if not more, than a lot of the Godzilla movies. So the second half of this movie is just giant monsters wailing on each other, and the human characters standing completely uselessly on the sidelines, yelling, No! Mothra! That, that's it. That's all they have to contribute after a while. Um, mm -hmm. But there's a ton of monster stuff in here. You just got to wait till the second half. And some of the stuff in the beginning is actually really, really fun. So um, the movie kicks off uh, with, and this is so 90s, uh, Evil Logging Company. <laughs> oh, we had some evil logging companies in the 90s. Saving the rainforest was all anyone cared about in terms of environmentalism for a while. Yeah, there was a lot, um, lot of environmentally themed cartoons. And not just yeah, Captain Planet. It was everywhere. Yeah, Fern Gully was huge. Uh, what was that? What was that one Chuck Norris movie where he was like a woodland spirit trying to stop loggers, like grabbing their chainsaws with his fingers oh, and stopping them? Gosh, um, what the hell was that? Oh, what movie? was that movie? I know what you're talking Unbearable. about. <laughs> what? Oh my god! 
I didn't okay, see it, but, but I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, hold on. Chuck Norris logging movie. <laughs> uh, Forest Warrior. Oh, also 1996. Um, oh, God. Didn't he also make Top Dog this year? Uh, like, it was around there, yeah. Top Dog is weird, because that was his Turner and Hooch knockoff. Like, yeah. you know, oh, we'll do a buddy cop, but one of them's an animal. It, adorable, it works. Um, <clears throat> he teamed up with the dog, and... The criminals that they were that they fought were white supremacists trying to assassinate the Pope. Wow! And, All also, right. and also, and also, they were doing like terrorist bombings, which coincided with some real life events, and like made the whole movie seem like in, in even poorer taste than usual, um, and totally <laughs> oh, tanked it. It's just it's a weird relic, man. But in any case, there's a big logging company. They're doing a lot of logging. Ah, oh, we hate these logs. Get them out of here. Make them the, the paper, and. Um, they run into uh, a big stone thingy. Why they're there, I have no idea. There are no trees on that mountain. That's just a bunch of rocks. Why are you even bothering over there? But anyway, they can't get through this rock, and finally uh, they find on the rock uh, a big, not big, but like a gold medallion that's like embedded it, into it. And it's clearly it's, been it's, there. For it's like kind centuries. of palm. It, it's like a coin, it's like palm sized. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been there for centuries, and everyone's like, oh my god, what a rare and ancient artifact. Let's hack at it with a screwdriver, and so that's what they do. Yeah, let's, let's, they, they pry it up, and wouldn't yeah. you know it, there's like a, a chamber underneath it, like a tunnel. Yeah, and it was sealed, magically sealed, with that medallion, and they've basically opened Pandora's box. Everything's going to go to hell now. Um, and the, uh, the Elias are watching this, and they're like, no, don't do that. And Belvira's like, yes. Do it, do it, and my plot will be complete. Uh, and uh, and they open it up. Turns out the guy who uh, found it opened it up, hacked at it with a screwdriver. He's the dad of our main characters. Uh, he calls his wife to say, "Ah, there's some stuff going on. I'll be home late." And she yells at him really bad. Like it's clear their marriage is like barely holding on by a thread. <laughs> like they're just super mad at him for for working. And meanwhile, the kids hate each other. Uh, there's a daughter. Uh, her name is Wakaba. Uh, she is, like, stealing her brother's books or something. He's named Taiki. Um, and they just, they, they hate each other and they're miserable. And that's 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 our status mm. quo. Miserable family is miserable. <laughs> uh, Dad I, comes I think, home uh... with the medal and gives it to the daughter because yeah. she likes her best, apparently. She's the youngest. She gets yeah. the toy. Yeah, and, uh, and and it escalates quickly. You know, normally, in a movie of this ilk, there would be a whole sequence where some magical things happen, we don't understand what, or like they the, run the into the little magical kids creature. understand that the, there's what the magical yeah. properties of the amulet are, and maybe they yeah. can float objects or cast spells, yeah. and, and that's what alerts a villain to come yeah. find them. It would be the children having something that gives them power, and that's the idea that's supposed to connect to children. Oh, what would I do with that power? The mind boggles. Uh, that's not what happens here. In fact, uh, she like floats her brother across the room, and he freaks out, and he spends the whole day terrified at school. And like when he comes home, she's tied up their mother, <laughs> and is like moving shit around the house, all creepy poltergeist like. 
And Belvira is like on her dragon, like ready to like you know try, trying to steal the medallion. And the Elias show up, and they're just like, "Oh, hey, kid, yeah, we need you to help get this medallion back. It's kind of a big deal." Yeah, well, um, and, and no, it it, yeah. it should be clear that the little girl didn't just sort of get power and decide to start torturing people. Mm. Uh, oh yeah, Belvira is like like talking to her, like whispering. Yeah, it's like. Like she's yeah, being interior. influenced by Belvira, so it, yeah. it, the, the way you described it, it, it sounded like uh, she was just like, "Oh, and she got this thing, and then she just started to decide to, well, it to start really torturing fast, her mother." Though. My point is, it escalates very, very quickly. There's no buildup. It's like we see this little POV of Belvira flying around her room, and every time she walks past or flies past a toy, it magically comes to life. Like Trumpy, you can do magic things, and. Then she, like, settles in on the girl, and then she levitates her brother, and then later in the day, mom is tied up and everything has gone to hell. It does happen fast. Now, maybe not as fast as I make yeah. it sound, but it does happen really, it, really, really fast. It happens really It happens really fast, and it's actually not a big part of the movie, because yeah. then Belvira shows up, and everything changes really quick. Yeah, and then the, the, the Elias show up, and, and it, it turns into... And this part's fun, I think. Um... A dogfight in the living room as Belvira and her flying dragon are zipping around with the medallion and uh, the Elias are flying around on ferry and shooting at them with lasers, just zipping all around, you know, knocking over things, uh, flying underneath tables. Um, that's a that's a hoot. I actually thought that was like really whimsical and fun. You know? Well, that it, it, it's this portion that you kind of get where this film is coming from. Like, this is the tone yeah. of this thing. Uh, it is going to be a lot more silly uh, than some of the previous Godzilla films, at least from the Heisei era. It's going to be a lot yeah. smaller scale. I think we're tempted to compare this to a, you know, a Moonbeam film because uh, one of Charles Band's shticks was Little Tiny Monsters. Exactly. There, there are so many movies about little teeny tiny monsters, and this is all about little teeny tiny monsters. Uh, we'll, we'll get full size Mothra. We'll uh, yeah, get multiple full size Mothras. The second but, half of the uh, movie, there's a lot of big ass monsters, but the beginning, it's little monsters, which yeah, is which is admittedly yeah. something we haven't done a lot of before. It's true. Like that's actually pretty. Like, we've had the the peanuts or the cosmos, but we've never had like little tiny monsters. Even the little monsters we've had, it was like Manila, and he's still pretty big compared to a human. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so th there's a whole bunch of dogfighting, zipping around, and like the the kids are all like, eh, they're trying to stop him with like butterfly nets and stuff. Uh, it it isn't until Belvira is captured in a butterfly net and like starts firing lasers out of her dragon's mouth wildly that they actually hit Fairy. And Fairy falls to the ground and desaturates because it has lost power. And now Fairy <laughs> won't be able to fly them around anymore. And Belvira grabs uh, the you know, grabs everything and like grabs the medallion and flies out. And she's going to go to the the mountain and release the villain of the film, Desghidera, which is which basically is... Ghidorah but with four legs instead of two. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, and, Which, by the way, and, like, superior spikier design. and more and more uh, like reptilian looking. Honestly, it's a great looking monster. Like it's a genuinely great looking monster. It's kind of my 
Like, it's hard to beat Cyber Ghidorah, but, like, this is the... Ghidorah's always bothering me because he just had those back legs and only heads and wings. And it just struck yeah. me as sort of limited options in terms of uh, uh, mobility, you know? He's, he's, he's kind of weirdly top-heavy, so the monsters mm. could exploit that when fighting him, but... Um, uh, but yeah, other like also limitations in terms of just fighting options. Uh, Deskidera is a much more muscular monster. It feels more like like a three-headed Dungeons and Dragons type dragon than anything. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's uh, uh, Tiamat. Yeah, from it's Tiamat. The Dungeons yeah. and Dragons uh, animated series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiamat was the was the was the big multi-headed dragon from Dungeons and Dragons lore. I don't think they mentioned it in the recent movie. Maybe they're saving that for a sequel. But, no, uh, that, but yeah. although um, in in that new movie, those the animated characters had a cameo, which I thought was cute. <laughs> that was cute, wasn't it? Um, but uh, yeah, so she's gonna unleash Deskidera. But before she can unleash Deskidera, uh, she needs to like widen the portal to release him, and so. She controls the mind of their dad, who hasn't come home yet, and makes him strap explosives to a bulldozer and <laughs> drive it into the mountain, and it's only sheer luck that he fell out of it before it exploded and he's able to survive the film. Um, which is kind of a lot, actually. Like, he's going to have some explaining to do when all of this is over. Mm. Um. <laughs> meanwhile, uh, you you got some explaining to do. <laughs> meanwhile, uh, the mom and the kids. First off, the Elias explained the backstory here, uh, and the backstory is this: bef in the long, long ago, uh, the El there was a whole bunch of Elias, and there was a whole bunch of Mothras, just like populating the earth. Nothing but Mothras, yeah, and the, the, like an impossibly ancient amount of time ago. Yeah, and then Deskidera showed up caused some, sh you know, started some shit and it took the combined efforts of all the Mothras to defeat Deskidera and like seal it up in this mountain and the only Mothra that survived was well, Mothra mm -hmm. to be fair uh, and Mothra has apparently only just recently laid an egg uh, which is which, which, which weakened her evidently because she's so yeah. unbearably ancient well, also that'll that'll take it out of you anyway. Yeah. To be fair, like that's 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 a hard day. You know, you're gonna you're gonna need a nap after that. Uh, so uh, yeah, we only got one Mothra, and the and uh, the 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 two remaining Elias are trying to solve this problem on their own, and they're trying to get to uh, Deskidera before it awakens, so that they don't have to call Mothra. Uh, they take them on a plane, and if you weren't sold on the fact that we think they were trying to sell toys uh, the way that they're able to get the m moth fairy and the two uh, uh, Elias on the plane is by pretending that they're toys <laughs> so like oh and that's they have to, an interesting and they have to hold, moth toy yeah, which again speaking of children's entertainments from the 90s uh, did you see the film version of Indian in the Cupboard Yes, I did see the film version of Indian. Yeah, there's, uh, and and that was a shtick that they had to do as well. They had to, it's about little, a, a little kid has a, a magical cupboard and he puts his toys inside and they come to life and uh, he yeah. has a, 
some little ones, you know, very stereotypical because it's based on an older book. But uh, yeah, it's a, a Native cowboy American, and a Native American, yeah. yeah, Native American and a cowboy, and they they come to life and they have to pose as toys, and that's what uh, the the Mothra twins have to do in this one. They're like in outlandish outfits, and they have to stay in certain poses. It seems kind of embarrassing for them. I'm embarrassed for yeah. them. I'll say that. Yeah. That Indian in the Cupboard movie is a weird entity because there's a there's a bit in that movie uh, where the kid, to test out his newfound powers, puts a whole bunch of action figures in there. He puts a T-Rex from Jurassic Park, Darth Vader, Robocop, puts them all in the thing, opens it up, and then they're all alive. And there's a, got a working lightsaber and everything. Yeah, and yeah. I remember seeing that as a kid because I'd read those books as a kid. It was a whole series. Yeah, um, in the books, they're very. First one I think came out in like the late seventies or early eighties, something yeah. like that. They're very big in the eighties. Um, the books make it very explicit that this is not bringing a fantasy thing to life. This is time travel. You are bringing someone from the past mm-hmm. into the present uh, through a toy, like that happens to resemble them. It's like some sort of uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what you call yeah. it, but. Um, but I, in the movie, you can bring uh, RoboCop to life, and so I, I interviewed Frank Oz once, and I was just like, yeah. Frank Oz who directed the movie, yeah, 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 Frank Oz directed the movie, and like, could you explain the logic here? Like, so it's not time travel anymore. Darth Vader, when you bring in Darth Vader, you're not bringing in David Prowse, or actually bringing in Anakin Skywalker, and Frank Oz was like, we didn't care. <laughs> it's we, a children's we, we fantasy. They just want the toys we, to toys to come we, to life. We, we thought that would be a cool scene. That's how we thought of it. We don't care about any of that. And that kind of conversation is a little disillusioning sometimes when you realize that like the movies and like the things you take really, really seriously, the people who make them don't always take as seriously as you do. Oh, that's that's true I'm, most of the time, I think. Oh god. If you ever get a chance to talk to anyone who works at Pixar and ask them, like... About cars. To ask them how the Cars universe makes sense. Like, there's a bit in, like, Cars 3 where uh, uh, Cruz Ramirez is like, yeah, oh, I couldn't, I, I was ready to drive over a crab. Okay, so they have crabs, but they don't have people. Like, what are we doing here? Mm. Help me out. <laughs> And well, look, it was established in the first cars that even animals were also cars because cows were tractors yeah. and, and little bugs were Volkswagen Beetles. So the crab uh-huh. is clearly just another miniature car of some kind. Mm-hmm. We didn't we didn't actually see the crab animal. She just mentioned it. OK, that bad example. Bad example. There's <laughs> lots of other things. Why do staircases exist? Boom. Um Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. But anyway, where were we? Okay, so the uh, Deskidera has been released and the family shows up just in time while everyone else is panicking. And Deskidera is uh, giant and cool looking, shooting fire out of its mouth. And it turns out that Deskidera is basically Galactus. It's going to suck the life force out of the Earth. And the kids, this is an interesting moment, the kids say, does it eat people? 
And they say, no, it doesn't care. You guys only live to like till you're like 80. What it really wants are trees. Because <laughs> trees can live hundreds of thousands of years. So yeah, it's really going to eat up all the trees. And uh, the, the, the sort of token environmentalism of this is kind of interesting. Like there's a bit earlier on where the dad and the mom are talking and she's like bringing in the mail. It's like, oh, there's so much junk mail now. It's like, what a waste of paper. And he's and, and they're like, oh, well, I guess that's my job. Yeah, but it's still a waste of paper. And it's like, okay, our, our allegiances are strange, but fine. <laughs> so they have, to, they have to awaken Mothra. And they're going to awaken Mothra with a music video. Not a musical number, a music video. 90s Which... video toaster effects out the, out the wazoo. Yeah, although, um, to be fair, that's kind of the function of, like, when the Peanuts were doing it back in the 60s and 70s. Like, the the movie stopped so there could be a song number, and this is just sort of the updated version of that. Uh, Yeah. It it feels shameless in both cases. (laughs) Yeah. I remember... um, In this case, it's almost kind of classical, though, because it's like, it's a throwback to, like, an over 30-year-old movie at this point. That's true. Although you uh, original Mothra song, you almost expect for that little like MTV Chiron to appear in the lower left hand corner. Uh, Mm. I I remember um, at one point uh, reading the script for Beavis and Butthead to America, like they published Mm. it, and there's a a music video in that. There's a Rob Zombie music video where uh, Beavis eats like this fungus in the desert and he hallucinates a music video. And in yeah. the script, it said that's what happens. He says he eats this thing, he starts to hallucinate, and he says it's like a music video. And the script yeah. says, "Here's where we see a Rob Zombie-like music video. It should be as shameless as possible." Like <laughs> Mike Judge actually wrote that in the script. Um, I, I feel like that was the attitude of what was going on here. It should be as shameless as possible. Uh, it should have been like that song, um, "Uh oh, we're in trouble" from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. For as graceful as incorporated. It was incorporated. It was on the soundtrack. Was it? Uh oh, wow. okay. we're in trouble. We're in trouble. That one, yeah. Something's come along and it's burst. Ah, bah, bah, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't thought about that in 20 years. Um, <laughs> Glad I could bring Oh, yeah, that I, one forgot, I forgot there was um, a bit. Uh, it's by a yeah. band called Shampoo, and I believe yeah. it debuted with Power Rangers. It was in a couple movies. It was definitely around at the time. Um, I forgot there was a fun plot point, actually, where. Um, you know, Belvira's got the seal, the medallion, and she's flying around on her cool uh, dragon. And, uh, you know, Fairy is out of commission. So in order to get it back, they, like, strap the Elias to, like, a paper kite. And they, like, fly it up there. And Belvira's like, how are you doing this? And the child's like, humans have mastered the power of flight! <laughs> like, sort of. I guess that's like that kind of qualifies. But they get the medallion back, and they use the medallion. Turns out it has other magical properties. They use it to heal Fairy. So now they're zipping around on Fairy. Uh, and they're summoning Mothra. And Mothra's like, oh, here we go again. And it starts flying around. And uh, it fights Desk Ghidorah. And it... Well, it looks like it dies. It looks like Mothra dies pretty quick, actually. Like, it's doing well. And then, like, it's, it's kicking Desk Ghidorah's ass for a minute. And then Belvira's mm. like... You know, Mothra's really old, right? It's probably can't take much battle damage. And Deskator's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. And so, uh, just <laughs> tears down Mothra. And it looks like that's the end, right? Mothra was her only hope. Except, 
Mothra's egg hatches prematurely. And, uh, yeah, the LDS are like, no, you're not, you're too young, you don't have enough power. But it's like, no, I am summoned into the world by vengeance. It's one of those vengeance births you hear about. And it, you know, bursts out of its shell. And I, I, I just, I can never get over just how. You know, they make Mothra look all magical and full of, like, you know, colors that probably aren't terribly common on a moth and, like, a very distinct pattern. It looks like a magical, fantastical, painted creature. Yeah. And then there's the larva Mothra, which is a brown caterpillar. And and hasn't changed much no. since the 60s. It's like the, it's like the same model... Uh, I don't I, mind if you improve that one. It just looks kind of gross. It's covered in slime. Like that, That's the only difference is this one's a little slimier. Uh, yeah. I, I know when they made the original Mothra, like, um, the, the Mothra Caterpillar, they kind of constructed it with a, kind of like an old uh, kid's pull toy, one with like a string, mm-hmm. with kind of rolling off-centered wheels underneath. So when it rolled along, it would look like it's kind of slithering along the ground. It's actually, you know, a simple but pretty cool looking design. Yeah, and worked. and it worked in the 1960s. And they're still doing it here. They probably have like just <laughs> a, an automated version now. I imagine in the 60s they literally pulled it with a string. But yeah. it's it like it's that same thing. It's that same kind of toy. You could go to like a toy shop and get something really similar today. Yeah. I I have um I think there's a missed opportunity. I really do because the the larval Mothra is just called Mothra. There should be a separate name for that version of the monster, like a Larvra or something. <laughs> you know, it should have its own identity because it's a distinct form. Yeah, yeah, right. It completely transforms into another creature. There should be like it's like the, the face. It's called an a xenomorph or a, a, and a face hugger. Like, there's a name for the face hugger, even though it's, like, the first stage of the creature's lifespan. Well, but, Brand yeah, that's just, that sucker, you know? That's just what the fans call it. They don't call it a face hugger in the movies, do they? They just... It's another uh, thing to them. Do they ever call it that in the movies? That, not in the first movie, anyway. I, well, no, definitely not in the first movie. Yeah. I wonder if they ever actually did say that in the movies. Yeah, I don't think... I, I, <sighs> remember, I remember re-watching those Alien films and how uh, the... The company, like the mysterious uh, mm-hmm. company, wasn't named until the fourth, uh, got uh, fourth Alien movie. I thought Alien, it was named in the Alien, second one. Alien Resurrection. They don't say it out loud. It's not in the script until Alien Resurrection, where they say the name Wayland Utani, and that's mm-hmm. not mentioned at all. They just call it the company up until that point. No, 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 no. Because it, it, no, isn't um, does uh um. His name Lance Henriksen. Doesn't Lance yeah. Henriksen in Alien Three play a representative of the company? And isn't his name Wayland in that? Um, maybe I maybe like I know there's like that W logo appeared like in the background of of the second movie, but I don't think there's any text on it. I think it's just a, a symbol, and I didn't give it. The actual name until no, the fourth okay, one. I'm look, no, 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 I'm looking this up. Uh, the term okay. Wayland Utani is mentioned in Aliens. It is. Apparently, it is actually mentioned in Aliens for the first time. I don't think they make a big deal out of it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. But um, 
in any case, I don't recall them using face sucker. I'm curious if they do. I'll look. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think they use those. Those were just fan terms, like, um, like queen alien, all the eggs, all of the terms that we use to to describe those things. That's just fan stuff. Remember in the '90s when all of a sudden, because Aliens was another one of those franchises with obvious appeal to kids. It's got cool monsters. It's got space marines and shit. Um, but they're always R-rated. Yeah. But then in the '90s, they just made action figures for them anyway, and they like which was weird because brought... it was like way after the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they brought back characters from Aliens, like uh, um, Apone, like the guy who was like the the leader of the of the. There were colonial marines in the movie. They're space marines when they're action figures because that's easier to say. Yeah. And like, oh, remember when that guy died? Well, he's a cyborg now, so it's fine. So they gave him, like, a cyborg arm, and they had, like, a, oh, here's a cool alien that you squeeze its head and it shoots water at you. Isn't that fun? And it's like, it is, actually. Those were kind of fun action figures, but weird that you did that. Um, but I digress. Mm-hmm. Um, Des Ghidorah rips apart Larvra, like, like not literally, but like it's got it's got it in like multiple mouths at the same time, and it's chomping down, and it's like squirting blood everywhere. And it, like I was like, I thought that's kind of intense for a kids' movie, actually. Yeah, it, it's worth noting this movie is about as long as the Godzilla films have been in the Heisei era, so like a little over a hundred minutes. Uh, yeah. But in terms of like story, there's so much less going on. There's oh yeah pretty it's if you are here for the monster fights this will not disappoint uh and it's it's just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and the little the little one hatches and they try to rescue uh mothra as she's being ripped apart by Desghidera, and she sinks to the bottom of the ocean there's like a little bit of a break and then another mothra comes back and there's more fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting well, and, you, and that's kind of it that's the story um, you skipped over some stuff because like there's there's one bit that i like it's kind of like in one of the care bears movies where they like give the kids like a magical thing and it's like oh you keep this it's very important and in the end they don't really need it uh mm-hmm. the 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 elias gives the medallion to the little kids after they managed to steal it away from belvira and they say you hang on to this we're gonna need you sooner than later and then later in the movie what they needed the kids for was to throw them the medallion back yeah, <laughs> you didn't need to give it to the kids at all. The and, there, and there's the last, no dialogue like, about how no. like if if we have it, the the monster will get us. Like nothing like that. No, they do use it to heal Mothra, like older Mothra, back up again, so new and old Mothra can like team up and start taking down Deskidera. But yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a weird scene, man. Uh, the 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 humans in the scenario, as I mentioned before. They're just off to the side. They have Which, nothing. They're just occasionally we cut to them. They're, they're oh, I can't find mom. Oh, there she is. And then we yeah, sort of well, look and, at the monsters and go, oh, man. Yeah, I, and now to be fair, that is something that happened with a lot of the Godzilla movies. Uh, you know, the human characters would sort of stand off to the side and witness all of the destruction and witness all of the the fighting. But the difference is in those movies the humans actually serve a very vital function. They watch the monster violence and they watch the monster fights and they react with, with in horror and shock, like something really horrific is happening. Even when like the military is involved or they got their planes and they're reflecting Godzilla's blasts back. There's this notion of uh, some kind of 
mechanical thing being accomplished on the human's part. And then when it fails, they get to sort of react with tragedy as, you know, these monsters tear apart mm-hmm. the cities. Uh, yeah. In Rebirth of Mothra, there's no sense of that gravitas. There's no tragedy to this movie. This is actually a very light film. And Mostly, so when the characters are standing off to the side witnessing all of this stuff happening, they're just sort of looking at it. They're not yeah. saying, ooh, ah, or somebody's in trouble. They're just going, Mothra. Oh. Like, yeah. there's no, there, there's, no, there's nothing for them to comment on. They're just sort of there. And yeah. I, I guess just to remind you that there are humans in this film. I'm, I don't think the filmmakers were maybe tired of depicting humans, but I feel like this film wouldn't necessarily have any major detriment if you just removed the humans altogether at one point and it was just the monsters fighting each other. Yeah, especially in the second half. They really contribute. Yeah, yeah. There, there's this there's this one chunk where Mothra rescues baby Mothra from Deskeeter and like flies away and then we have to watch Mothra drown. Yeah. Well Mothra dies and then is like Mothra no and, 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 and little baby Mothra, who I think in in a Toho parlance they call this new Mothra Leo Mothra, yeah, Mothra and it's a he Leo, and not a yeah. she. Yeah, uh, Mothra Leo decides. Well, I need to step up my game. I need a Rocky montage, but I'm going to do the Mothra version of that, where I'm going to spin a cocoon around an ancient tree and I'm going to suck up that tree energy and I'm going to emerge as a bigger, cooler Mothra. But that takes some time, mm-hmm. and while that's happening. There's this one bit, and there's the one thing that, like, the humans get to do, and it's kind of hilarious, because they're, like, holed up in, like, a hospital or something, and Deskatera is eating all the trees, and that's destroying all the oxygen. Like, people are suffocating, and there's, like, one plant in the hospital, and the kids start, like pulling water out of a fish aquarium to like feed the plant because that's where all their oxygen is coming from and it's just <laughs> such a weird bit like you really didn't need to bother with that it's such an odd detail to make into like a whole scene weird but um <laughs> anyway uh mothra emerges new and improved cool different looking wings we can sell that one too and uh, it flies back and it's gonna it, boy is it gonna boy is that gonna fight uh, Deskeeter isn't it yeah and yeah. it does yeah, it and, it, and it and it defeats and it does and it uh, does Deskeeter. it for a long long time it's a really long time but by god it defeats Deskeeter and that's great uh, Belvira uh, is uh, defeated when her steed Garu Garu I guess is actually its name um uh, the little dragon thing mm-hmm. that is like knocked over or hit by a stray blast or something like that, and we find out it was a robot. Oh, I like did, it's, did it's I got miss like this? wires. And, <laughs> yeah, there's like she's like it crashes to the ground and she like gets up and it's like full of like wires and things. Oh, and I'm like, I, I don't. I, that's that's weird. I didn't think it. I thought that was just like just magic guts it look I, it looks to me like they just sort of ripped off the mechanism of the animatronic and say eh she had was riding a toy the whole time I don't know it's weird and the the alias go up to Belvira and they try to like reach her you know like like you know we, we believe there's still some semblance of good in you mm-hmm. and Belvira uh, drops like the closest thing we have to like a sequel tease 
where she's just like, you put too much faith in the humans. They will be your destruction. And then she like runs off into like a tree. <laughs> so to be continued, I guess. And the kids uh, are told, hey, you want to ride on Mothra? I'm like, I don't know, man. His mom just died. Maybe now's not the time. Okay, guess we're riding on Mothra. And, you know, the, Look, the song Mothra from is, Man starts playing. You know, Mothra is, is really well put together. Mothra does Mothra does not mourn. Remember, Mothra is more like a... <laughs> we, we've compared Mothra to, like, the giving tree. Know. Mothra, of all the kaiju, Mothra is most like a deity uh, than yeah. just sort of a, a straight-up monster. So the idea that Mothra is, like, totally at peace with all this, I'm, I'm okay with that. Fair enough. Uh, the movie concludes with the two parents like watching their kids flying around and they're looking at the devastation like the entire forest has been destroyed and the dad whose job was to destroy the forest uh, realizes oh my god I've made such a mistake I've I've wasted my life my life's work was actually really destructive and bad and it's going to take us years to get this you know environment back but you know it'll be worth the effort we've learned our lesson and then mothra just like spews some some fairy dust and then all the plants grow back and yeah, no yeah. harm no foul apparently yeah well M- mothra don't mothra need to learn a didn't... lesson at all really we're, we're good mothra will solve all your problems now the, you know what's missing from this is you know we were talking about all these uh how environmentalism was a really common theme throughout kid entertainment in the 90s and what you would see in a lot of those uh, cartoons was a, a polluter of some kind. There was like a, a bad guy or a corporation uh, of so, like a, 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 a oil tanker pilot, like somebody who was actually actively doing harm to the environment to serve as like an, an avatar to of all of humanity that was polluting the environment. Yeah, like the dad needed a boss. Yeah, yeah. Like if there yeah, was a boss, like... or, or or maybe the dad was the boss. Maybe the dad's like, oh, you know, I, I was able to make increase my productivity all i had to do was like clear cut this part of the amazon he had to do be do something really actively evil uh mm-hmm. and then at the end that character would either uh, learn a lesson or they'd be destroyed uh yeah in terms of of fern gully wasn't it like it was an actual machine that spoke it was like a conscious machine that was polluting no no it was it was uh, it wasn't a conscious machine it was uh like an evil pollution spirit voiced by Tim Curry that was yeah. unleashed by logging and then it took over the machines because it oh, okay. creates the pollution that it that it craved uh, and that song by the way that Tim Curry has in Fern Gully is a banger that is an <laughs> all timer villain I'm not a huge fan of that movie that scene that would like he's all like turning into like oil and like sliming around these mechanics and Tim Curry's just belting it. <laughs> that's that's a that's a highlight, man. That's that was some good stuff. But yeah, yeah we really but... don't have the representative because I think that they're they're not actually trying to pick a fight with industry. Yeah. It feels yeah, well, it feels very token. It feels very superficial. It feels it's token like in a very feels... generic way. And it know? feels very American because if if you recall yeah. A lot of these movies are actually about uh, the triumph of Japanese technology. Uh, you know, they create these machines. They created a Mogera and Mechagodzilla, for goodness sake, in the Heisei era. Those were human creations. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, about a, a lot of these movies are about sort of fighting one technology with another technology. These are very modern, technolo- technologically forward 
movies, <laughs> it's kind of odd yeah. to sandwich in this this notion of industry bad into the series well, that never espoused that before. Like pollution has been bad. That, yeah, well, that's the thing. That's not exactly true. If you look at uh, All Monsters Attack, there's this general sense of like, oh, all this industrialization is really no oh, one lives true, here yeah. anymore. And there's a certain amount of like, there was a few of those. Uh, I mean, well, the, the Smog the, Monster for crying out loud. Yeah, I was about to say was there, there was Godzilla so. versus the Smog Monster. If you're yeah, going to have an environmental message, bring back Hedera. Have Mothra versus Hedera. You know, this is well, that the new sense. version of that. Yeah. Yeah, when, and but uh, on the other hand, it's 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 Gator. Everyone likes Gator or Deskator, I guess. It's mm. his cousin. Um, but um, Deskator means yeah. of Gidera. <laughs> there you go. But no, like, I don't know. I, I really like Deskator though. I think Deskator is a great looking monster. It's actually like it, 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 setting aside Mecha Gidera, um, I think it's the best Gidera has ever looked. Like it's just yeah, it's a yeah. good looking monster. It's a nice, like fully detailed puppet. Uh the heads look everything looks more muscular. And the fact that it's got four legs really helps sell the reality of it in a way that the other Gitara designs never really did, especially when it stood up. Um it just looks good. Mothra looks really, really good. Um, you know, it's it's very attractive kaiju. It's supposed to be kind of friendly. And I, I we talk about the cynicism of the sort of toyetic quality of a lot of these uh, movies, but I, I have to confess something. Hmm. While I was watching this movie, I thought to myself, I really want a Mothra plushie. <laughs> but I want like a big one. Like, I guess I found a bunch of little ones. I want one that's like the size of a pillow. Uh-huh. You know? I want to like hug Mothra as I go to sleep at night. And I'm surprised that I haven't been able to find one. Actually, I looked online. Oh, they're, they're, they're like, around. Surely, I'm not big ones. I found plenty of small ones, like eight inch ones, and those are very, very cute. I'm uh-huh. talking about. I want like a big one. I want one that like my cats can sleep on. Like I would, because they make the like, big Totoros, you know? Yeah. Like the size of pillows, you can you, like lean against mm. them and read in your bed or something. Um, I, I I want one that size for Mothra, and I I'm not. Finding. Oh, if anyone yeah, well, knows where these things are, if you can send me a link to where you can buy them, I'd be very, very curious. Let me know because I, I kind of do want one, and I okay, have to well, admit if, it's cynical. They tried to sell something. Uh, if this product exists, sold. <laughs> Decided I want one. I can't. Um, I'm not going to fight it. Uh, just here, like while we were chatting, I got online and I, I looked on eBay, and you can get a 20 inch Mothra pillow on eBay. Is that big enough, or, or do you want something even yeah, bigger? It's okay. What is what is twenty inch? Like, yeah, that's that's not bad. It's, yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. I'm, try, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I don't have a tape measure on me. I'm trying to like eyeball that, but that that's pretty good. Yeah, that's that's not bad. I can work with that probably. How much is that? Uh, um, oh, it glows in the okay. dark. It's twenty inches long. Oh. It is. It is, however, a hundred dollars. Ah, because it's because it's it's a vintage toy. It's but you know they okay. made them, so they're out there. Okay, so it's uh, I will keep my eyes open. Maybe I'll find I'll get lucky someday. But that's it's, I'm glad I'm glad that that actually exists. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Rebirth of Mothra. Um, yeah. It's cute. Uh, it's, it's, it's it, 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 it outstays its welcome though. It really doesn't have anything going for it. In, and like, the, the, and the monster half like it, it's really yeah. padded. 
the the monster fights, you know, ordinarily I'm okay with a nice long monster fight, but you know, in, in other movies they tend to change venues or uh, like yeah. we were talking about with uh, Destoroya, the creature like keeps getting more powerful and they're absorbing each other's energy and the blasts are getting bigger yeah. and bigger. There's the sense that everything's escalating. Uh, I don't yeah. get that sense with Rebirth of Mothra. They just sort of fight. Um, well, the, the thing that changes is the hero. Uh, yeah, Des well, Hedra remains and then Mothra is defeated and then baby Mothra shows up and then baby Mothra is defeated. They fight it together. They're both defeated. Mothra levels up. And it fights. Oh, it's got a cool finishing move where, like, it creates a bunch of, like, little Mothras that attack Deskeeter. I forgot to mention that. But, like, yeah, it's all about just knocking Mothra down and then Mothra gets back up again because you're never going to keep him down. And. But, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's drink, no escalation. But, yeah, there's no escalation of the villain. And as a result, it doesn't feel like the stakes keep going up. And it's hard to stay quite as invested. Yeah. I think it is a miscalculation. I think you're right about that. In any case. Um, so, yeah. It, oh, and, and confirmed, by the way, on Wikizilla, Garu Garu is a robotic dragon. No, I, I looked up Garu Garu, and Garu, you're right. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, like, There's some no of, I guess my, my I brain tell, just but... misinterpreted it. I'm not sure, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think I've ever explained. Maybe we'll find out in the future films, like, where that robot comes from, but by God. Um, I, I think, I think Garo Garo yeah. will be back in Rebirth of Mothra 2 and 3, so we'll we'll find I, out, I'm sure. Hopefully hopefully we'll get the secret origin of Garo Garo. But uh, yeah, that's Rebirth of Mothra, and um, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, it's definitely an about-face. Like, it's definitely a lot less severe than the Heisei Godzilla movies, and I can appreciate that. I just think it's a little thin. Uh, well, for a... a, a I'm thinking like i can't compare these to sort of the the heisei era as much as i can to the few godzilla films we've had that have really directly pandered to kids uh right. films like uh, uh all monsters attack uh films like um oh, the uh, one with jaguar in it yeah the, um godzilla versus megalon uh yeah. the, the ones that feel a little bit sillier a little bit more broad um in terms of those, like the silly, broad, kid-friendly Godzilla movies, this one is the most, I guess you could call it, like, high-octane. It's the most extreme in that 90s kind of a way. So yeah. little kids might feel that there's a little bit more of an edge to it, just in terms of its filmmaking. But there isn't. There's actually not much of an edge <laughs> to this movie at all. No. Yeah, I agree. But uh, in any case, that's Rebirth of Mothra Part 1. Yeah. We will return next week with Rebirth of Mothra 2, in which Mothra, I guess, will be reborn again? How many times can this happen in the trilogy? But it's going to happen. Uh, and there'll be more monster fighting, I guess. Well, and, maybe, maybe uh, this is a, a yeah. long spiritual rebirth of Mothra. Maybe Mothra is going on like some sort of faith journey that we haven't seen yet. Maybe it's before sunset, and it's like, uh, you know, the, the Elias, like, meet up with their sister years later, and they spend, like, two hours talking about their, you know, their baggage. Oh my god, I would love a walk and talk <laughs> with monsters. Wouldn't that be great? A, a, a stomp and roar. <laughs> you, you ever feel when you hit middle age that things make less sense rather than more? <laughs> Be amazing. Um, 
Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Uh, again, we'll be back next week with Rebirth of Mothra Part 2. And then after that, whew, you knew it was coming. Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. So stick around. If you want to listen to new episodes of Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, a week in advance, you can do that. You join our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. You get all of our new shows ad-free. You get Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, one week early. And depending on what tier you're on, you get access to a bunch of different shows, such as uh, All Our Yesterdays, where we're reviewing every single Star Trek ever. We're all the way up through season five of Star Trek The Next Generation. We just did Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Um, we also have Only the Best, to review every film ever nominated for Best Picture. Uh, we have a huge back catalog of where we uh, did every single episode of Firefly, every single episode of the Adam West Batman. We do commentary tracks. Uh, there's a ton of fun over there and thank you to all of our patrons for helping us keep the show going we couldn't do this without you and it, it is the best way to support the show but if there is uh, if you need a way to support the show if you want to support the show and you can't afford it totally understandable uh, please leave us a review wherever you find us a star rating one sentence a word it doesn't matter just be honest and uh, it really helps us find a larger audience so that we can hopefully do more cool stuff uh, in the future so thank you to everyone there if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode with us you want us to answer your questions uh, uh, read your thoughts on life our email address is letters at critically net. we might read your email in an upcoming episode of we've got mail Whitney what is our P.O. box yeah send us an actual physical letter to the critically acclaimed network P.O. box 641565 Los Angeles California at 90064 and uh, um, yeah, and we're on social media at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani, wherever I'm you can find me. Whitney Seibold. Yeah, find, find me. Uh, find me on the blue sky. I'm over there now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, uh, I, I guess Mothra doesn't really roar. Uh, flutter! <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.